Are you ready this morning? I hope you are. I'm excited about what God's put in our heart today. Get your Bibles out, your iPods, pads, droids, whatever you use to open up, maybe actual Bible with pages, whatever you got to look up the word. Let's open up 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter 4. If you're new, just excited about the Bible, happy about what God's doing in our lives, happy about what he's done for us on the cross, what he's still doing today. So looking forward to this. We've been talking about core strength. Purpose in this series is going over some core values, some things that we feel like are important values to build a certain culture. If you want to change your culture in your life, you got to change your values. If you don't change what you value, you'll never change the culture around you. So we've just found that we want to create a certain culture in, in our lives, not just at church. How many knows we need to have the same kind of values at home that we have at church? We, we don't want to be church people. We want to be followers of Jesus, and everywhere we go, we live the same. And so we were building this culture based on these certain values. So we came up with 10 core values, and we've been going over them. I'll, I'll uh, give them to you real quickly. There were, we want to be with him. That's our number one value. His presence means everything. We do life together. Relationships make us stronger. We pull on the leash. Big faith, big risks for a big God. We live generously. Freely we receive. Freely we give. We bring our A game. This is about excellence, doing our best at all times. So we, we want to operate in excellence, reflects God. We take nothing for granted. Appreciation is fuel for the future. We want to appreciate what God's doing in our life, be thankful for the people around us. Sometimes if you're getting a little discouraged about the progress in life, sometimes you need to look back a little bit and be thankful for where you were and where God's brought you. You may not be where you want to be, but you're sure not where you used to be. So sometimes appreciation is fuel for you to keep moving forward in life. So that's why it's a core value. And sometimes you got to be thankful you got to be thankful where you've been. I was telling uh, Dawn this morning that it was 11 years ago today that we became the lead pastors here at Crossroads. And I, as I look back with appreciation, I'm thankful for where God has brought us. But now my eyes are focused forward for where God wants us to be in our life. And that's the way we got to live our life at all times. Be appreciative. Be grateful. The next value is we go low and grow. We stay humble and teachable. Next one, we live with honor and integrity. We value people and what is right. Then the one we're working on today is we pursue our green. We live from and for his purpose. We pursue our green. You're like, what is pursuing our green? We'll talk about that in just a minute and you'll understand this board and, and what it means. I'll get a little closer to you so you can see it. But a few years ago, I read a book by the name of, a guy by the name of Jim Collins called From Good to Great. And when I read this book, it was about, it was a, it's a corporate book. It's not necessarily what you might call a churchy book, but it was a, a corporate book. <laughs> And it was about companies, about 11 companies, and he was analyzing these 11 companies that had taken their company from good companies to now they were operating at three times the market rate. They were just excelling beyond other companies. You know, companies like Coca-Cola, and, and back then it was like IBM, and, and, but now you might look at Amazon and Google, and what separates these companies from others? And he found one consistent thing with all, th all of them is when they had these three circles intersecting that that company excelled. And here's what those three things were. Each corporation had something that they were deeply passionate about. Deeply passionate about as an organization. They, this is something that we don't just do to make money. We are passionate about this. When they had that, and it was connected to what they can do, be the best in the world at. There was something that they were good at that they could be the best at. In other words, there's a lot of things that you can do, but there's only certain things that you can be your best at. And then you had to find what drives your economic engine. And so when they put those three together, they called it the hedgehog concept. And as I'm reading this book and, 
and I'm thinking about business, the Lord started speaking to me about as a believer. He said, I want you to have that same kind of success in your life because I believe he was saying to me that Chad, I've equipped you to operate at three times the market rate. I've given you tools and resources that as followers of Jesus, we should be able to operate at a level above the natural, above what, what people without God are able to function at. We're able to function above that. So I, I switched around the circles as I prayed about it, and this is how I came up with it. I came up with three circles, and I changed the names of them. To the first one is about your passion, finding what you're passionate about. That word passion means what you would love to do, and you would do it for free. I want you to think about something. When you think about this circle, what am I? passionate about, something you just enjoy doing. This is not work. This is not a job. Passion is something inside of you that you love to do. Nobody has to make you do what you're passionate about. When you're passionate about something, you get to do it. It's something on the inside. You're not externally motivated, you're internally motivated. So this circle is very important in finding out what you're created to do. When I talk to young people about finding out what their occupation is life, I try and tell them all the time, do not go get a job. Sometimes you have to be in a job as a stepping stone, but you need to find out what you're passionate about and let that motivate you. So passion's the first circle we'll talk about. The next one is the need, the next one next to that. And that's what you do serves a need, isolating the need that you're able to serve the best. So there's a need in the world for what you're passionate about. That's what finding your purpose is about. Finding a need that you can, there's all kinds of needs. We can't be led by needs because you'll get overwhelmed, there's too much need. But you need to find the need that God has given you to meet. You need to find the need that God has spoken to you. He says, this is the groove that I want you to focus on. And then the third circle is very important, what you're talented at, what you're gifted at. So the talent is being good at something, working on your craft, improving it. It's not just finding something that, well, God's gonna hand it to me. Sometimes, I say more than sometimes, we need to work at our craft to be good at what God, for us to fulfill our purpose, I'll say it this way, for us to, us to fulfill our purpose to its fullest, we need to not just think that, well, if it's gonna happen, it's gonna happen. Sometimes we need to work to develop what God has already given us. People understand this in the business world, but in the church world, people just think it's just gonna fall on them. Well, if God wants it to happen, it'll happen. I'm telling you, it's the same way in Christian life as it is in, in, in the world from this aspect. The only place that success comes before work is in the dictionary. To me, people are not working at their talent. They're not working at their craft. Whatever it is, you got to work to be better at it. Just keep working to get better. So this, when those three circles come together, I'll call it your purpose, and I call it your green because when you get in there, that's the green light, and that's what you need to go with. So when you ask the question around here, hey, where's your green? Are you operating your green? We're talking about this section right here where your passion and meets a, a need and meets your talent. So let's look in 1 Peter 4. We're going to break this down a little bit today and see what God says about it. Verse 7. I'm going to start in verse 7. It says, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things. Everybody say above. Above all. All things. Above how many things? All. Above how many things? All things. So if he says above, that word above means superior, in front of, more important than, prior to. So he says above all things. So if something is above all things, if it's superior and prior and more important than anything else, what he's getting ready to say is very important. 
Because he says, above everything, in front of, prior to everything, listen to what I'm getting ready to say. It should be priority number one in your life. That's what he's saying. Here's what he says. Prior to all things, above all things, have fervent love for one another. Fervent love. Look at your name and say fervent. Fervent. Do you have fervent love? Now, we, we got to define this word because some of you say, oh, I got fervent love. It's hot. Hot love for her. She's hot. He's hot. Fervent love. No, I'm not talking about that kind of hot. I'm not that, talking about that kind of fervent because that kind of fervent love burns hot and it burns fast. It's, it's, called, it's what we call a quick burn. Anybody ever tried to burn something and all you put on it was gasoline? You light a match. Whoa, man, it's huge. It's massive. It's awesome. And then it's gone. And nothing ever starts burning. Fervent love means continuous and persistent. So it's not a blaze of glory. It's, sorry, my mind's going this way. See, it's, it's not that. It's not, it's not that kind of hot. It's something that's continuous and purposeful. He says, have fervent love for one another. So we got to understand that above all things, we got to have continuous and purposeful love. You know why he says that? Because sometimes it's going to be a challenge to have continuous purposeful love for some people, including ourselves. It's going to take continuous purposeful love to stay married. Fervent love. Fervent love that lasts 60 years isn't gas love. All right, we'll go on. <laughs> It's got to be, all right, all right. Fervent love, fervent love. So now look what it says. Fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Be hospitable, that means being friendly, kind to even foreigners, aliens, people you don't even know, guests. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. He doesn't want us to grumble as each one has received a gift. Don't grumble. Don't, you know, you're talking about grumbling. This is murmuring, complaining. This is talking under your breath. Maybe you've heard somebody do it. Maybe you've heard a child in your house do this. This is something where something happens and we don't talk out loud. We talk under our breath. You know, we complain under our breath. And God's saying, I want you to do for me what I ask you to do without grumbling under your breath. You notice when people grumble, they never say it out loud. You know, somebody asks somebody to do something, they don't usually say, This is ridiculous. Usually they say, this is ridiculous. Or they say, you've got to be kidding me. You may be instructing a child to, hey, go do something for me. What's that? What'd you say? Nothing. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. You get in there and do. But how many times has God asked us to do something? We may not verbalize it, but we grumble about it. We grumble about it. God's saying, hey, don't, don't grumble. Don't grumble about it because he's saying this. As each one has received a gift. Everybody say each one. Each one. I want you to understand this. If you're listening to me today, each and every one of you have received a gift. Each and every one of you has received a gift. God does not gift generally. He gifts specifically. And then he asks us to work corporately. God doesn't gift generally. Acts chapter two, verse three, the Holy Spirit came and the flames of fire set upon each of them. 
He didn't come just in that room and touch all 120 of them. He came and sat on each of them. Why? Because he wanted each and every one of them to know that he's an each one God. He's an individual God. He's not just a group God. He's got something for each one of you. He's individual. He cares about you. He's not just dropping a bomb in here for whosoever. He says, I want to touch each and every one of you has received a gift. He's an each one God. He's individual. He gifts specifically, and then he asks us to work together corporately. Ephesians 4 says it this way. He talks about it from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what? Every joint, every joint, every joint. Look at your neighbor and say, that includes you. Every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying itself in love. Here's why we need to know what our purpose is. Because each one of you are contributing to the growth of someone else. Each one does its part. Every joint supply. Every joint supply, each one does its part. Are we doing our part? Are we supplying what God put in us to supply? That's a great question for us to ask. I don't know what your part is, I don't know what your supply is, but I know you've got something because each one has received a gift. And that word gift is really cool. The word gift is a word, charisma, and it's talking about a gift of grace or a grace gift. When I, my first job out of college was at Bradley University and and, uh, we had there what was called an endowment accountant. It was an exciting occupation, endowment accountant. What happened, an endowment accountant, someone would give an endowment and a lump sum of money to the university And that lump sum of money would be invested by the university and then the interest off of that investment would fund ongoing the works of that project, whatever the university won't do. They would give that gift and that gift itself produced out of itself enough to supply what was needed. Are you grasping what I'm getting ready to drop on you? So now God has given you a gift on the inside of you and that gift that he gave you on the inside of you was an endowment to you that out of your gift will be enough supply to keep you going for the rest of your assignment. God's put it on the inside of you. That gift will produce out of itself. He has enough to supply for every part of that. So he says, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. This is very important. As each one has received a gift, as, as, I'm not an English major, but the word as is a comparison word, as each one received. The word received is a Greek word that means to grab, hold of, seize, possess for yourself. So now as each one grabs hold of, as each one receives, minister. The word minister means to serve. Very important part. I'll throw this in right now so you can be thinking on it, chewing up for the rest of the service. Your passion, your gift, your purpose in life, the purpose of your purpose is to serve someone. The reason God gave you a gift is to serve your gift. As each one receives a gift, minister it. Serve it. Minister. Some people, you hear the word minister and you think up here. That's not, that's not what God's talking about. He says, as each one received a gift, you go serve with it. You go find a need and you serve it as each one has received. So now as, the comparison word, back to that. As I received, I will serve. Why is that important? Because I cannot give of something that I will not receive for myself. As each one receives, minister out of that. This is why we need to keep receiving everything that God has for us because there's a need that's going to come across our path that God wants to serve and I will not be able to give what I will not receive. 
This is why the Bible says freely we receive and freely we give. I don't hold back and say, ah, I just don't believe in all that stuff. Well, you may not need it, but you may come across someone this week who does need it. And if you'll receive of what God wants to do in your life, you can serve someone else with it. But if you won't receive it, if you don't want it, say, ah, I don't need that. You may not need it, but somebody else might need it. And God wants us to serve our gift, not be served with our gift. Sometimes people want to use their gift to serve themselves. And I'm telling you, that's a lonely place because you'll always be trying to prop yourself up, always trying to promote yourself, always trying to, you need to use your gift to serve other people. Just get in your heart. When I win is when I serve. That's when I'm winning, when I'm helping other people. All right, go on. You You got that. So as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards. Everybody say stewards. Woo, guess what? You're a steward of your gift. Are you ready for this? You're a steward... That word steward's a financial manager word. That means you and I are responsible for how we steward, how we manage the gift that God has given us. I want to encourage you with something, and it's not a, it's a, not a negative thing. It's not something to bring pressure on your life, but God says we are stewards of the manifold grace of God. You know what manifold is? It's not like intake manifold or exhaust manifold. This is, the manifold just means a variety of kinds. That means every single one of us have a different kind that God has put into our life. We have different gifts that God's given us, but we are called to steward that gift. How we manage. You remember the parable about the talents? The guy gave five talents to one, two talents to another, one talent to another. The guy who had five talents went out and made five talents more. The guy who had two talents went out and made two talents more. The guy who had one talent, what did he do? Go and hit it. He went and hit it in the ground because he was afraid. This is why we've got to give a stewardship for our gifts. How are we using the gift that God's given us? God has given each one a gift. Now we're going to be held responsible for how we steward that gift, how we manage it. Do you know this? When we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, I'm not talking about the great white throne of judgment. I'm talking about the judgment seat of Christ that believers will stand before. They will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. This will be what our rewards are based on. And the, the, whether we get saved or, or whether we accept Jesus determines where we spend eternity. How we steward our gifting, how we steward what God gave us determines how we will spend eternity. It's a whole other conversation for you, but I want you to understand we're going to stand before God and I'm going to have to give an account to God, not of what I did, how I stewarded his gift. He will say, Chad, I gave you this gift. I gave you this in your life. I I deposited this in your heart. I put this in you before you were ever born. This was my purpose for your life. How did you steward what I gave you? And I could go and say, well, God, I didn't think that was very valuable. I didn't think that was very important, so I really didn't do anything with that. He goes, hmm, that's too bad. Everything you gained over here that you thought was gained to you, you still get into heaven, but fire of wood, hay, and stubble gets burnt up. I want my rewards to be based on making sure I'm fulfilling God's purpose for my life. You say, oh, it's too much pressure. It's not pressure at all. It's realizing that his purpose for your life is the best place to be. It's the most fulfilling place you can be. Just love him and let him show you what he wants you to do with your life. He put it in there and guess what? You will love it. I told you about my job that I got right out of school. I was a financial aid accountant. If you don't want a more exciting occupation than that, it was awesome. I'm 22 years old in the office of 42 ladies, the only male. 
And my job was to help people with their financial aid and, and do all of that. And I'm 22 years old and, and I'm helping people with financial aid, some of them older than me, some of them just a year younger than me, whatever it may be. And so within three months of taking that job, I'm driving home one day. You know, I graduated school, got my first job, awesome. It's making good money. Should be on the top of the world. And I'm driving home in my 1990 Toyota pickup with extended cab. And I <laughs> had the air gate. You don't know what air gate is. Anyway, had that net on the back. Anyway, so I'm driving home. And while I'm driving, that's not important. Just pay attention to the rest of my message. But anyway, I... <laughs> So as I'm driving home, I start feeling something. We got three months into my career. Went to educate four years of, of schooling for this. I start feeling, man, this is not what I'm meant to do. I'm not serving God at the time. This wasn't like through a time of prayer and fasting. I won't tell you what I was doing. I just wasn't seeking God. But I had something on the inside of me that was speaking, that was like, this is not what I was created to do. I just, I don't feel fulfilled about this. You know what I started thinking? I thought, I started thinking, you know what? I, I probably ought to be like a psychiatrist or something. I need to be like a counselor because I, I think I'd like to help people with their problems. I'm not thinking about God. I'm just thinking, what is that? God's purpose on the inside of me was speaking. I didn't even know what it was. I couldn't even put my finger on it. I didn't know, okay, that's God. I didn't know that, but I'm telling you, whatever God put in you, it's there and it will bring you the most fulfillment of anything you've ever done in your life. I'm not telling you to go quit your job today. I'm just saying, I didn't quit that job that day. I just, I had to start pursuing God and you won't find your purpose in a position. You will find your purpose in a new job. You will find your purpose in Jesus. And if you will get in Jesus, out of Jesus will come all kinds of revelation of what he wants you to do. But you can't find it in a job. I'll jump to this job, that job. You can't find it. You've got to put your heart in a place of serving God. And out of that will grow his purpose for your life. Because I want you to tell one other thing about this. Your purpose, it's like a seed. Do you know a corn seed looks a whole lot different in March than it does in August? Your gifting inside of you is going to change and develop over stages. Sometimes it's going to look like this and you'll be sure, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do for the rest of my life. Then a rain comes and a couple months go by and you grow and you change. You're like, oh, maybe God's moving me in another direction. Sometimes we, are, we got to appreciate the process of our gift developing in front of our eyes. So that, that's important. It's like a seed. It's growing. But we got to find this. we got to find our purpose. And here's what a statistic says. 87% of people in the church don't know what their purpose is. I don't know if that percentage is actually accurate, but even if it's 50%, people don't know what their purpose is. So what are, why we've got this core value, we want people to pursue their green, not pursue a career or a job or just occupation. We want them to find what they were created to do. We want them to find what God purposed them to do. And they, so they're good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And then go on the next part. He says, if anyone speaks, let him speak as of the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, if anyone serves, this is to you and me, be encouraged by this part right here. If anyone serves out of their gifting, out of their purpose, let them do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may get the glory. Here's a key part about your purpose or serving God. Number one, God should get all the glory out of you serving in your purpose. 
It's not about us. It's not about what we are, who we are. All glory goes to God. But notice the other part. I love this part of this verse. He says, let them do it as with the ability which God supplies. Here's the encouraging part. Whatever purpose God has put in you and asked you to do, we are to do it with the ability that God supplies. You're not working on your own ability. You're working on the provision of God. And he says, I will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You can do your purpose because God has supplied you with the resources and the ability to get it done. So when you get stretched and God calls you into another season, you're like, oh, it's too big. It's overwhelming. Hey, it is going to be on your ability. But do it with the ability that God supplies and nothing is too difficult for him. We got to learn to rise above and let him use us in that capacity. Now let's go, let me show you another scripture. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Purpose, purpose. I want you to find your purpose. I want you to experience your purpose. 2 Timothy chapter 1. I'm going to start reading here in verse 6. Second Timothy one verse six says, therefore, I remind you, Paul writing to Timothy to stir up, everybody say stir up, stir up the gift of God, which is in you is the gift of God in him. It's in him, right? So, but what happened? So can a gift be in a person and not be used by a person? Can a gift be in somebody and you not see it? He said, stir it up. Well, that, that, that stir up means to reactivate. It's like rekindling a fire. It's like getting the flame going again. Some people, it's, it's easy to happen in our lives at different stages. It can happen to all of us, but we can have a gift on the inside of us, but not be visible to the people around us because we've let the fire go out. You know why the fire goes out many times I've found out is because we're not trying to serve a need. We're trying to serve ourselves. What's feeding your fire? If serving a need is feeding your fire, you will never run out of kindling. If praise and adoration is feeding your fire, your fire may go out. If public acknowledgement and everybody knowing, everybody celebrating you is feeding your fire, then it it's, it's, could be a possibility that your fire could dwindle. But if it's just serving need, needs are all around you. Needs are everywhere. You're never going to run out of wood if, if your wood is meeting a need of somebody around you. Notice what he says. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has two things here. Notice this part. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, saved us and called us. Two things I think are important. Saved us, Greek word sozo just means to save, deliver, heal, rescue, every part. It does not just mean forgiveness of sins. Is that part of it? Yes, but it is complete rescuing. He saved us and called us. Two things. Two words, and I need you to see two things about those two words. Number one, both of those words, saved and called, they're 100% involuntary in their origination. I'm going to say that again. Saved and called, both of them are 100% involuntary 
in their origination. In other words, we did not come up with the idea it was God's. God saved me through Jesus. He offered Jesus. So I wasn't saved by my choice and come up with this system of Jesus dying for my. God initiated that. And then he also called. He put each one has received a gift. So the calling is also 100% originated by God. You got that? Here's the bomb. Saved and called 100% involuntary in origination, but 100% voluntary in participation. Whether I'm saved or not, whether I receive the gift of salvation or not, is 100% my choice to participate in receiving what Jesus died to give me. To operate in the fullness of my purpose and my calling, it is absolutely how much am I willing to participate with what God put on the inside of me? How much am I willing to develop, work on my talent? How much am I willing to be driven internally by my passion, not externally? How much am I willing to look for needs to meet and not look to meet myself? How much of that am I willing to participate? Finding our our purpose and operating it is about our willingness to participate with God's plan. He saved us and called us with a holy calling, a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose. You know what that means about not according to our works? I mean, it can mean a bunch of layers of things. We'll give you one part of it. Don't think that your purpose is gone because of a mistake. I made a lot of mistakes over a period of four years where I walked away from my purpose, 100% walked away from it. A lot of mistakes, a lot of mistakes. But my Bible says that his gifts and callings are without repentance. That he did not change what he intended for me, I changed my participation. I changed how much I wanted to participate in what he wanted to do in my life, but he never changed his intention. That the one moment that he was ready for me in December 1995, when he met me at that third story apartment building, said, Chad, I'm asking you, are you willing to come along with my plan in so many words? And I said, yes, that day I began to agree with his purpose for my life. Everything didn't change. I didn't arrive in that moment, but I started the journey because his intention never wavered for me. So I'm telling you, he says, your, your purpose is not according to your works, but it's according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Here's what I want you to see with these three circles. In finding your green, finding your calling, I'm gonna take these one at a time as we wrap this up today, but I want you to see what I mean by your passion. What do I want you to get out of this? What do I want you to take home today about passion? Number one, is it's internally motivated. I want you to be internally motivated. I want you to feel the call and the purpose burning on the inside of you. Find something that nobody has to pump you up to participate in. This is something on the inside of you. It doesn't mean we don't like when people say yeah and celebrate, but your passion should be something that wakes you up in the morning and gets you on about your day. Something you're passionate about. Internally motivated, not externally. People, see, if we were live inspired, people that are inspired will be inspiring. If you're not inspired by your passion, nobody else is going to be inspired by it. If you're not inspired by your purpose, by your gifting, what God's created you to do, nobody else is going to be. I'm not talking about fake rah-rah. I'm talking about stuff that gets you up on Tuesday when nobody's around and you're passionate about what God tells you to do. 
Internally motivated. That's very important about that one right there. We got to live from the inside out. Colossians 3.23 says it this way. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. If you're going to fulfill your purpose, you got to get this down in the inside of you. You got to do it heartily. What does heartily mean? It's a Greek word that literally means out of the heart or out of the inside or motivated by the heart. In other words, you're doing it out of yourself as unto God and not unto people. It's just what passion's about, internally motivated. I want you to grasp that. Let's look at talent. What I want you to see about the talent circle. I want you to see this part about talent. You are valuable. Each one has received a gift. You have a talent Let me just say it again. You have a talent. You may not recognize it. You may not see it. You may think, oh, talent are people that can speak or sing or or do something outwardly flamboyant. I don't know what your talent is, but I know this. I believe, God, that you have one. Even if it's not even an operation and it still needs to be stirred up, it's in there. As each one has received a gift, so you have a talent. And that talent is there for a reason. Every talent is purposeful. One thing you need to know about your talent is that if God gave it to you, he has a value for it. How many have ever done this yourself or you know somebody who's done this that I'm, I don't have anything special? I can't do anything special. You have a talent, you have a purpose, and you need to understand the value of that purpose. You need to understand it is important. It is important. We know that each one, we're not trying to pump you up. We're just saying you need to know your talent. You, I, I say it this way. If you're going to run your course, your talent, you need to, if you're going to run your race, I should say, you need to know your course. If you don't know your talents, you don't know where, where God has placed you, you're going to have a hard time finding out where you're going to fit in. I'll say it this way. You could be running like a, a cross-country race. You can run. And it's beautiful scenery. Look at the trees, hills, and stuff. Just run and run and run. But if you don't know your course, if you don't know the course of that track, you can run all day and never win. Yeah. I ran all day, man. It was tough. I ran. I ran. Just kept running. Did you win? I don't know. Why? Because you didn't know your course. This is why we have to have a relationship with Jesus so he'll help me know my course so that I'm not wasting time running a route that he didn't ask me to run. (laughs) Sometimes people are running a race that God didn't ask them to run. They're getting wore out and tired, stressed out. And he says, hey, you're on the wrong course. You're running the wrong race. I didn't ask you to run with them. I didn't ask you to run where they're running. I didn't ask you to open that business. I asked them to open that business. I didn't ask you to do that. I don't know what it is, but you got to know your course. Know your talent. I always want to be like them. No, you don't. You want to be like you. You want to be just like you because you've got a talent on the inside of you that's given by God and somebody needs it. It brings us to our next one. The need, the need. There is a need for you. Can I encourage somebody else that's a little more excited about it? There is a need for you. There's a need for you. You may not think so. You may think nobody knows you, nobody values you. There is a need that your talent fits. You need to find it. There's a, there's a place that your talent is going to flourish. It's going to meet the need of somebody. That's what need is about. I want you to feel the heart of God in serving others. Your purpose, again, is about meeting a need, not about meeting me, not about serving me 
It's about meeting a need. So we gotta find the heart of God in helping other people. And then this part's really important. I want you to feel the significance of the impact of you not fulfilling God's purpose on your life. I'll say it again. I want you to feel the significance of the impact on the world around you because you do not fulfill the purpose of God. That's how much the need matters and that's how much it's important for us to know the purpose of God because there is an impact on the world around us for us not doing what God created us to do. I'm gonna show you that here in just a second because sometimes we're, we're measuring our impact based on people that have limited vision. They don't see the ripple effect of what you're doing. They don't see how it's impacting the world. They think it's only right here, but God sees the ripple effect way down the line. I'm gonna read you a story and introduce a principle to prove this out. It's called the butterfly effect. You know butterfly? I read a book by a guy named Andy Andrews. And the butterfly effect was introduced in 1963 by a guy by the name of Edward Lawrence. And he presented this theory. And here's what his theory was, that, that a butterfly could fly, a little butterfly, just a butterfly, fly, fly, butterfly. Anyway, so a butterfly could flap his wings that a butterfly could flap his wings and move molecules in the air. This is what he said in 1963. He presented it before this board of of scientists. That a butterfly could flap its wings and the, the molecules in the air could be moved by that butterfly flapping its wings. Those molecules could move other molecules, which moved other molecules, which moved other molecules, and so on and so forth, until it could cause a hurricane on the other side of the planet. That's the same thing they said. They laughed him off the platform. But this guy's crazy. A butterfly causes a hurricane. Right. Cuckoo, cuckoo, cuckoo. They thought the dude was cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. They thought he was lost it. So here's what happened though. 30 years later, scientists with more technology and more ability to study these things actually found this cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs guy to actually be so solid and so valid that they made his theory into a law. It's no longer a hypothesis, it's actually a law. Here's what it's called, the law of sensitive dependence upon initial conditions. You've probably heard of it. (laughs) The law of initial dependence, sensitive dependence upon initial conditions. Here's what it means. What we do and don't do matters. Every little movement, every little action or inaction matters. All right, I'm gonna gonna show you, I'm gonna tell you a story. There was a guy by the name of Moses, not the Moses in the Bible, this, a different Moses. He owned a farm in a slave state, but didn't believe in slavery. Didn't believe in it, he and his wife, Susan. So because of that, bandits used to come, and if you didn't believe in slavery, and you had free will, African-Americans working on your farm, bandits would sometimes come, and and they came, one time and they, they burned his barn, shot several people and dragged off a woman. Butterfly effect, are you ready for this? Everything you do matters. Dragged off a woman named Mary Washington and her infant son that she would not let go of. They drug him off. 
So now Moses and his wife Susan began writing letters and Susan said we got, because they were very close to Mary, they were good friends with Mary, said we got to find a way to rescue Mary and this baby. And so they sent letters and long story short, they ended up working out an arrangement for a meeting in Kansas. This was in Missouri. They found him, got a meeting in Kansas that he rode his only horse for several hours to meet them at a, at a crossroads in Kansas and they had, had, had gunny sacks on their, on their head with their eyes cut out and torches. And that night, Moses traded his one horse and was tossed a burlap sack that a dirty burlap sack was holding a cold, naked baby. He traded his one horse for that one cold, naked baby and he rode his, he walked the rest of the way home and his wife, Susan, he committed to raising that boy. They loved him so much that they gave him their last name. His name became George Washington Carver. Then George Washington Carver was a 19-year-old student at Iowa State University and, and George's professor had a young son, six years old, that he would let hang out with George and George was brilliant, as many of you know. And, and George would hang out with this six-year-old boy and the six-year-old boy would take expeditions, botanical expeditions, it sounds like a blast. But they would go and they would talk, talk about love for plants and, and George instilled in this little boy a love for plants and they used to dream and talk about how they could use the botanical world to change humanity. Well, this six-year-old boy was named Henry Wallace. Henry Wallace went on to be the vice president of the United States under Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And he used his love for plants that was instilled with him in him by George Washington Carver to create a station in Mexico whose sole purpose, get this, was to hybridize corn and wheat for arid climates, for dry climates. Henry Wallace, who had this station as the vice president, hired a young man by the name of Norman Borlaug to run this facility. Just Norman, just another name, resume, picked Norman. So then Norman began to run this organization in the early 1940s, Norman hybridized, he successfully hybridized high yield disease resistant corn and wheat for arid climates. From the Dust Bowl of West Africa to our own desert Southwest, from South and Central America to the plains of Siberia, across Europe and Asia, his seed flourished and regenerated where no seed had ever thrived before. It has been calculated that Norman's seed, his work in that industry, saved from famine more than two billion lives. So let me ask you, who saved the two billion lives? Was it Norman? He's the one who got the prize. Or it could have been Henry. What about Henry, the one who hired Norman? What about Henry going through all those resumes and applications for the position and for some reason he just picked Norman? I don't know, I think, I think Norman's gonna be good for this position. Maybe, maybe it was him or, or maybe instead of Henry, maybe it was George Washington Carver who took Henry under his wings and, and helped him have a love for, for agriculture and, and helped him develop that. Maybe he's the one who really saved the two billion people. Or no, no, maybe it was Moses and Susan who traded their one horse for a cold naked baby. You could go on and on and on. What am I saying? Everything we do matters. 
one person named Moses flapped his wings and said, I'll give my one horse for one black baby. And that one baby saved two million lives down the road, two billion lives. Here's what I'm saying. God, every single one of us need to flap our wings because you don't know who's gonna be impacted. You don't know who's gonna be touched by you serving out of your purpose. Why do you need to find your green this morning? That's not about you, so you'll feel better about yourself. It's because somebody down the line, somebody's gonna flap their wings and choose the purpose of God and you're gonna change generations after you. That your grandchildren, great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren are all gonna be changed because you flapped your wings and said, I'll fulfill the purpose that God put in my life. I'll stay at home, I'm just a stay at home mom. Oh no, 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 you don't know the thousands, possibly millions of people that are impacted by one of your kids, two of your kids, how many that are gonna change the world because you poured God into their lives. It's the butterfly effect. It's so you flap your wings this morning, you could change a world. You say, oh, Chad, it doesn't matter, it's just this. Does living from your purpose matter? Absolutely, it matters because what I do and what I don't do absolutely could affect people down the line. My decision in 1995 in that apartment had a big impact on whether I'm standing here before you today. Every other, there's a bunch of decisions. Every time we choose to agree with God, we flap our wings and that decision either positively impacts or negatively impacts the people around us. I don't know how many of you need to flap a wing and save a baby. But I believe there's some dreams, some passions on the inside that God wants to stir up today. I believe there's some things on the inside of us that God wants to salvage. I believe there's some things that you've minimized and thought weren't important and God says, no, 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 whoa, 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 your gift makes all the difference in the world. Each one of you have a gift. I want us to pray. If you would just bow your heads with me. Will you agree today to ask God, what is my purpose? Because you know now it's not about you. Norman could have taken all the credit and said, ah, it's me. It's all me, I saved two billion people, yay me. But if it wasn't for Henry, there'd be no Norman. If it wasn't for George Washington Carver, there'd be no Henry. If it wasn't for Moses, there'd be no George. What is my purpose, God? Why am I created? You're like, oh, that's too heavy. That's too much pressure. It's not too much pressure. It's gonna be the most fulfilling thing you could do with your life. You're running from the purpose of God, running from what God created you to do is not gonna make you happy. The only thing that's gonna bring real fulfillment in our life is doing what we were created to do. I'm not talking about just being in a church and and only serving in a church. I'm talking about a purpose. You may be called to the marketplace to run a business, manage a business, called into the coal mine, called to be a farmer. Every time you harvest your crops, you are changing thousands of lives and you just don't know it. The butterfly effect. Are you gonna agree with the purpose of God today? You're gonna flap your wings and watch the kids after you 
I want my grandkids to be forever changed because of me flapping my wings. I want my great-great-grandchildren to be impacted because of the decisions I'm making to fulfill my purpose. That's what God's speaking to you. He wants you to do that. He's asking you today, will you fulfill my purpose? Will you agree with me that you have a talent, you have a purpose? There's a need for you, will you agree with that? Father, I pray over every heart right now, Holy Spirit, that you will show us our purpose. I pray that you will stir up the gifts on the inside of everyone listening today. God, that it not be about us, but it be about the people that you're wanting to touch, the people that you're wanting to help, that only we can do it the way you've gifted us to do it. We're unique, we're one of a kind. You've made us the way you made us for a reason. So God, I, I pray that you stir up some babies today, that we will go save some babies. We will go raise up some Henry Wallace's. We'll go and believe in Normans. We'll, we'll do what you've called us to do to stir up the purposes of God. Will you say yes to God's invitation to fulfill your purpose? I'm telling you today, start flapping your wings. You are not gonna see the immediate effects of that. It was one baby on one night a long time ago. Little did Moses and Susan know that that one baby would turn around and have over 200 and some uses for the peanut, 80 some uses for the sweet potato. Nobody knew at the time when they flapped their wings and gave a horse, what are you willing to give away today that you will get in exchange for that the purpose of God? What are you putting in place more valuable than the purpose of God? He's asking you for an exchange today. You've been doing it your way, and God says, if you will give me what you have, I will give you something that is greater than you can even seem possible at this moment. It's a purpose, it's a cause. He wants to stir it up. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.